It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to the Speedway Show. So glad you could join us today. The topic of our show is one that I think is really kind of fun. And I call it Smoke Out the Con Artist, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. I am here with a very good friend of mine, and um, we're going to be talking about this very topic. And uh, to give you some idea about what we're going to talk about today, let's suppose this is your life. You supported your boss in hiring that coworker you had a chance to interview, but he's turned out to be a total and complete disaster. He doesn't understand the job. He's constantly asking you to do his work, and guess what? Even when he asks you to do his work, who gets the credit? He takes all the credit. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, or... Let's suppose that uh, you have a sense of foreboding about that daycare provider or that nanny watching your child, and now you're hunting for a hidden camera to see what's happening when you are not home. Things have started to disappear around your home since you hired that handyman. Where on earth could you have possibly gone wrong? These are all the things that we're going to be talking about today. And to help me do that, uh, in fact, to do that for me, really, <laughs> is my good friend, Monique Burke. And Monique and I met years ago in Minneapolis where we were working at the same law firm. Some of you listening out there, I'm going to guess Candy, Dion, Alva, you know where that was. Anyway, aside from the fact that I love Monique to bits, I must confess, that she has been one of my most useful friends who has impacted my life in the most profound way. Because actually it was Monique who got me to move from that law firm years ago with an opportunity to go in-house to work at a medical device company in the Twin Cities. And because of that job, I ended up being invited to work at our sister company here in Chicago as the Deputy General Counsel of an energy services company that I absolutely love. So then, um, and by the way, the apartment where I live now is actually the apartment where Monique lived years ago. You remember this? That's right. And the only reason I live here is because I told Monique when I came over, Monique, I've got like half a day to find a place to live, and Monique said to me, well, you're a single professional chick. You need a safe place with lots of lighting and, you know, lots of security. And she recommended I live here. And so all that to say, my very, very useful friend, I hope all of you out there have at least one really, really useful friend like I do because I consider myself blessed and highly favored. So I have a million reasons to love my pal Monique. And um, today I'm not just celebrating her as my wonderful friend but also as the consummate professional that she is. Why? She hired me. I think she was a great recruiter. Um, Monique manages now strategic development throughout the Midwest 
for the Law Division of Kelly Services Outsourcing and Consulting Group. Her experience includes consulting with law firms and corporate legal departments to create custom solutions uh, to complex discovery and workforce augmentation challenges. Woo, that sounds complicated, doesn't it? Monique, welcome to the QA show. Yes, it's a very, very good So, Monique, talk to us about what you do right now at Kelly Outsourcing and Consulting Group. Tell us your title and how long you've been with Kelly. Sure. So, as CUA said, I'm a consultant for the legal division of the Outsourcing and Consulting Group at Kelly Services. And, you know, for anyone who may not be familiar with Kelly Services, this is the company that was originally meant to be a temporary staffing firm. So if you need a temp, you'd call up Kelly and they'd send one over, you know, for secretarial positions and so forth. Um, and now, some 70 years later, Kelly has evolved into more of a workforce solutions powerhouse across various divisions like healthcare and finance, engineering, science, um, and so on and so on. And so I joined Kelly after law school um, and after spending years at a firm and really started to learn a great deal about human resources, labor and employment practices, uh, interviewing, hiring, firing, and all sorts of personnel-related issues. And so I was able to merge my legal background and my HR experience to join the law division of Kelly's Outsourcing and Consulting Group. And I've been there, gosh, just north of seven years now that I'm counting. So it's been a little while. Well, yes, yes, it has, and I will tell you all the most useful and wonderful thing that she did while she was there was she got me a job. <laughs> so, so I love me some Kelly, and I love me some Monique. So you wrote an article called Three O'Clock Is Here, The Five-Minute Approach to Interview Prep. What is this article about? I did. Thanks for asking. So... This article is really about tweaking our general perception and practices when it comes to preparing to interview a potential employee. And, you know, although the article, of course, was initially geared toward the legal profession, I really started to think about ways that the concepts um, can really be applied to many, many facets of our lives. So when you're, like Sue, I mentioned earlier, when you're researching childcare options or when you're thinking about I don't know, outsourcing family meals, when you're thinking about um, hiring a travel agent, uh, a realtor, or if you're researching financial advisors, really any situation that arises when we're thinking about inviting people and services into our lives, I think my five-minute approach to interview prep can really help with saving a lot of time and energy and, and really expense, I think. So one of the things that we talked about when we were kicking this topic around is the fact that while this topic is is sort of as a as a knee-jerk reaction, you think about it in the context of job interviewing. And, you know, there are some people out there who might say, well, shucks, I don't really have any subordinates. I don't have a job open. 
Therefore, I don't really need to worry about this. Um, I did think, as we talked about it, and as Monique explained all the applications, that actually every single one of us out there, if you are an adult and you have anything even close to a life and you've had uh, any amount of uh, time in the workforce or you have a family, this becomes very relevant to you because we've all heard the horror stories of people who made hiring decisions, whether they be nannies, whether they be people who came uh, and worked in their businesses or people who came and worked around their homes, and things just did not go well. And so I'm talking to all of you. If you have ever hired a child care provider, if you've ever thought about going to Angie's List or someplace else to get a professional to come and do some work for you, uh, this show truly is for you. So, Monique, when you think about this article uh, and what caused you to write it, what was the problem that you were trying to address? So I, I found that in our industry, and truly as I started thinking about other areas as well, I found that people, and myself included, weren't necessarily preparing as much as we could um, when it came to preparing for interviews. I thought about the, the candidates and the vendors that would come to us, probably having had prepared their little hearts out for their meeting with us, and we had probably not um, spent the same time and energy preparing for our meeting with them. And while, um, you know, I think a lot of times we certainly put the onus on the candidates or on the service provider to sort of impress us, uh, nowadays I think it's so much more important um, for us to remember that in order for us to attract the types of people and the types of professionals that we want in our space, it's really important that we're able to sort of hold their attention as, as well. And so that requires preparation. So that's really the issue that I was trying to address when I, when I came up with this article topic. When you read the introduction to this article, and by the way, those of you who are listening, you will be able to find a link to this article from uh, the posting for the show at www.spoa.com, and you will also be able to find... Um, uh, links to locate and identify and contact Monique if you would like to do that uh, and you want to track her down and uh, perhaps she can be a useful friend to you too. <laughs> so when Monique read the intro for this article, I was absolutely hooked and I think you might be too. So Monique, I'm going to ask you to read us the introduction to your article. Thank you. Well, let me pull this up here. Um, and so, again, the article is entitled, Your 3 O'Clock is Here, The Five-Minute Approach to Interview Prep. So I will read this intro for you. Um, Your 3 O'Clock is Here already? Well, that's just rude. Isn't anybody ever late anymore? After all, it's just now 2.55 p.m. You still need time to scan your inbox for the candidate's elusive cover email. Then you'll have to click open the attachment that houses the resume, wait for your computer to unfreeze, tick-tock, and then squint at the name atop the page. Next, you'll hit print, walk to the printer, wait for your print job. Who's been printing out 
honeymoon destinations. Brush the late lunch crumbs from your suit, whisk the warm paper away from the printer's outstretched plastic hand, make a beeline back to your office, avoiding the lobby for obvious reasons, and tidy your desk while glancing at the fuzzy reflection in your now dark computer screen. You smooth out your hair and strut towards the front desk, pausing only to squeeze your eyes tightly shut and whisper the candidate's name three times very quickly so as to remember the one-word question that you will sing out into lobby land when you go to collect your candidate. Speedway, as your unsuspecting guest follows you down the L-shaped path to the next rough stop of their career, your brow furrows at the sneaking suspicion that there was just one more thing that you forgot to do. Ah, yes, prepare for the interview. Hmm. And so that's the introduction, and, and then the article goes into talking about just how costly uh, a mistake this is and how nowadays recent studies have shown that unsuccessful hires really can cost your company or your firm um, upwards of $240,000 per unsuccessful hire once you start factoring in things like training, onboarding costs, total compensation, your time, um, the cost of rehire. And so, again, all of these things are really very much transferable into services and vendors that you may bring into your home or to your own personal business. Um, you really got to think about that stuff when you're, when you're factoring in the financial cost associated with an unsuccessful hire. Well, this is really kind of unfortunate because as I was listening to Monique reading that intro, I thought of how many employers have had that exact same experience and how unfortunate because, you know, if you are the candidate. So on the CUA show, we've done a lot of shows that were based on the candidate and all about finding the job, preparing for the job, if you missed them, you can go to the Speedway show. There is a, um, I think the very first one was called I Hate My Job. And uh, then we went into Job Hunting 101, still job hunting, Pride the Deceptive Career Killer, three interview questions, nail that interview. And they're all about preparing for this momentous interview that you're going to have. And, you know, as, you, as the candidate who's doing the interview, who's, who's actually showing up for the interview, so many people prepare and prepare and prepare, and we read questions and questions, and we practice, and we think about what we're going to say, and we research the company, and we do all of the stuff, and we spend hours oftentimes, you know, putting together exactly the right cover letter and, 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 and tailoring the resume to highlight the things that we think are going to be really suited for this job. And so if you think about it from the interviewer's perspective, sometimes, despite all of that energy that the interviewee puts, you may have an interviewer who does exactly what Monique just described. And that is the person who shows up, who barely looked at the resume, right, and who shows up and says, um, oh, right, anyway, isn't it? Um, and meanwhile, you know, you're sitting there thinking, this is it, this is the interview of my life. And um, most of those people are probably, when they're interviewing, um, they're probably not thinking very much about the cost of getting it wrong. So when you think about those costs, Share with us, as you have shared this article, as you have told the story, 
I assume that there was a reason that triggered your writing the article in the first place. So what are you seeing in the industry that is causing you concern? And, you know, truly there's no one isolated incident that I've seen um, throughout my career in the staffing industry. It's just something that I've seen, you know, when you talk about, to your point, how many hours um, and how much time and effort these candidates are putting into meeting with you, um, you know, I just have seen a lot over the years, and I have been, I've had the opportunity um, and the privilege to sit in with some employers as they are interviewing some of our candidates, and I certainly have had the opportunity over the years to screen and pre-screen and interview myself hundreds of candidates. Um, and so as the industry becomes leaner, um, truly as the world, I think, you know, we're expected to do more with fewer people, um, you know, our time is just stretched. And so I think it's a very, very real concern. I don't necessarily think that interviewers, you know, approach this with a malicious intent. I think it's just something that happens when you become very, very busy. Um, but it's something that we can sort of combat and, uh, you know, the, the, the article is entitled Five-Minute Guide or Five-Minute Approach to Interview Press. But truly, if you take a peek at the, at the article, it just speaks to how you can take five minutes per day to really sort of prepare yourself so that, and uh, what's the adage, you know, you never have to, you can, you're, you'll always be ready. You never have to get ready. So if you take these five minutes and, and sort of uh, break them up into little chunks throughout your week, eventually what you'll find is that you'll become a pretty natural interviewer and that you'll, you won't have to sort of be scrambling around at the last minute um, just before you interview a candidate. So when you're thinking about the five minutes, is it five minutes? after I have figured out that I'm going to have to interview someone? Or are we talking about five minutes as a matter of daily practice over the course of my life, my career, my whatever, that then get me to the point where I am not scrambling when it's time to interview? Yep, the latter. We're talking about five minutes daily over the course of your career and your life to sort of uh, use these tips to create a toolkit for yourself, an interview toolkit that you can go to without even really thinking about it so that, again, you're not left scrambling at the last minute. The article ends by saying that all you'll need to do, if your candidate shows up five minutes early, all you'll need to do is grab a cup of coffee. And truly, that's the goal is for you to always be ready for an interview, either for a position or for services or individuals that you'll bring into your life and your home. What are some of the things that you suggest we do with these five minutes? So I got five minutes, which doesn't sound like a lot. Um, and so I'm sort of sitting there thinking, really, Monique, in five minutes I'm just going to be ready for this interview? I don't know. Seems like I might have to do a little bit more than that, but uh, I, I dare you to convince me that I can actually do it in five minutes. What should I be thinking about in these five minutes? That's a great question. I think, um, you know, it's important to sort of start – small, right? And so 
one of the things that I found over the years that candidates are probably most interested in when they come to work for you or come to provide a service for you is that what it's really like to work with you, what it's like to work at your firm, what it's like to work around your house, what it's like to work with your children. And they are listening for even the slightest break in tempo or catching your voice when you discuss the environment, which they're, you know, they're interviewing you about as well. So, um, you take five minutes. You should be prepared to answer questions talking about work-life balance. Um, one of the ways I, I, I suggest to people all the time is to take five minutes to walk around your workplace. Take five minutes to take a walk around your firm and, you know, take notice of whether people are scrambling to leave at five minutes to five as opposed to sticking around to help out so that everybody can leave at a reasonable hour or, you know, take five minutes to count the number of smiles or frowns that you see in your workplace. It's very, very telling. Um, take five minutes to think about whether teamwork in your workplace environment is valued or if it's more professional, independence-geared uh, uh, environment, things like that. So that truly does. It takes five minutes to take a walk around, and it's really, really simple and very, very telling. I have a relatively small team. I have, I think, right now six people who report to me. And um, when I re when I recruited the last one, I remember I got together. I have a I was recruiting for a contract review manager who was going to do substantive review of our contracts in house, and I have a contract manager whose job it is to develop the contract process. And she was there, and her name is Dorothy. So I asked Dorothy to come sit in in some of the interviews with me. And it was it was probably because of that that every single candidate wanted to work for us because Dorothy and I like each other so much. <laughs> and we have such a great working relationship, and we have so much fun doing it. It's not an easy job. Her job is not easy. My job is not easy. But we laugh our way through the day, and it's lighthearted, and we work hard, and we have so much fun doing it. And I think that enthusiasm came out in the interviews. And so in the end, you know, you didn't have to ask too many questions about what it would be like to work here because you could kind of see it. And um, as I think about that, and I thought about that just as you were talking, and part of the question that I would have for you is, you know, how selective are employees these days? Because there was a time when I think historically back when, you know, women belonged in the kitchen and children were to be seen and not heard, you know, back then, Employees, you know, it was it was nobody really cared about what kind of employer you were going to work for because the focus was all on the employee must surely want a job. So it seems like the times have shifted a bit, and and now there's much more of a balance as you're talking about the employee's right and responsibility to figure out some things about this employer and whether or not this is a good place to work. So what are you hearing from employees and candidates about how empowered they feel in making a decision as to whether or not I even want to work for this particular employer? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, times definitely have changed. And I'll tell you, employees nowadays have choices. Um, they didn't just even a year ago, if not more. Um, and so nine times out of 12, I'd say, um, 
you know, candidates are coming to interview with you directly after they've interviewed with someone else. Nine times out of ten, it's one of your competitors because usually if you're hiring, you know, it's in a niche field. And so there are other people who are looking at those candidates as well, especially as you get into the higher um, the higher level position. So, you know, candidates feel very empowered nowadays. And you probably notice, the way even the questions I think that candidates are asking uh, potential employers now are a little bit more gutsy than they used to be and uh, a little bit more pointed. They've Again, they've done their research. They've prepared for the interviews. And so if you find a candidate that you are interested in, it is uh, every bit uh, in your benefit to at least try to attempt uh, <laughs> a little uh, – I just would say it, it, it just don't assume that yours is the only option that they have. So thinking about those listeners who probably have interviewed in exactly the way you described in your article, um, I'm thinking that a lot of them were not thinking in that moment about the cost of making the wrong decision. Um, when you are working with your clients, how often, if you think about percentages, right, and this is the staffing industry, how often do you find you're having to um, fill a position that maybe the client has already tried to fill unsuccessfully? And how often do you hear the horror stories about employers who find that they had the wrong person in the wrong job for whether it was because they didn't uh, do the, the work ahead of time in hiring the right person or vetting the right person correctly. How often is that, is that happening these days? It's happening quite often. And in fact, you'll recall that you and I were supposed to take this show last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually called away uh, to a client site because of this exact same issue. Um, in this particular situation, the client found that they had hired an entire team of the wrong people. And uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so these things happen um, pretty often. And I think one of the things to remember, um, and I didn't know this, right, until I became a member of the staffing industry, and particularly the, the legal staffing industry, is that a lot of times uh, HR departments at companies or even perhaps firm administrators, they may have – um, an HR background in that they have hired people before and terminated people before and recruited people before. Um, but specifically with regard to the legal industry, um, you know, very few people are taught to be a legal recruiter. Very few people know sort of the, the legalese and the buzzwords and really know what it means to come from a firm or really know what it means to come from an in-house position. And so, you can read about that stuff and sort of learn about it as you go, and maybe you can sort of take direction from your uh, from your in-house legal department as to what they want. But truly, when it comes to, to recruiting um, and, and really matching skill set with personality and firm or in-house culture, uh, it really, I think, um, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a member of the, of the industry, I really think it would behoove anyone to really find uh, – find a firm, find a staffing firm, find a recruiter, find whomever who at least has that sort of specialized experience with regards to legal hires anyway, um, so that you're not having to rehire someone or start from scratch when you think you've done a good job in the first place. 
Well, this is uh, close to the end of our show, and I would encourage you to tune in. This is actually a two-part show. So I'm going to encourage you to tune in to the next installation of this show because as I was preparing for this show and reading up on Monique's advice and the things that she suggests, she said something I thought was absolutely blasphemous. And uh, what she said was that you should, she suggested banning resumes from the interview room. And uh, some of you might have the same raised eyebrow look that I had when I read that because I'm like, wow, I only picked it up five minutes before. This is my crush for the interview, right? So what do you mean, ban the resume? What are we going to talk about? So... This is what we are going to discuss when we pick up this topic again. Uh, and again, I would encourage you to visit eway.com for the posting for this show where you will find a bio of Monique's. And um, we're also going to talk in the next show about her clients. Who are they typically? And what makes uh, the kind of, what kind of client would be somebody who would be a good fit for these kinds of services? And I think you may be surprised at what you might find. So, Monique, with that, I will thank you very much for being my guest here today on the Seaway Show. Thank you, Seaway. It's been so much fun. All right. This is Seaway saying tune in for the next iteration of this fascinating topic. This is actually the first person I've ever had uh, from the staffing industry. So I uh, encourage you to visit us back again. And until next week, this is Seaway saying go in peace and interview well. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.